Welcome to the Business of Design podcast. I'm Cheryl Horn, Director of Operations for Business of Design. A lot has changed at Business of Design since this episode originally aired. For the latest information and rates on events and membership at Business of Design, head to businessofdesign.com. Enjoy the show. Hey everybody, this is Business of Design and you are in the right place if you are an interior design professional like me. I'm Kimberly Selden, your host, and we have a kind of a special show today because we are going to have not one but two guests on the podcast. One you're very familiar with, it's the wonderful Cheryl Horn, who is Director of Operations at Business of Design. Cheryl introduced me to a lovely woman named Sarah Vermont, who has a book out currently called Careergasm. I enjoyed the book thoroughly and since that time have followed up by taking Sarah's five-week crash course, which is a way of helping us uncover essentially uncover our superpower, something I talk about all the time. How do you uncover your superpower? You have to know the things you're good at. You have to know the things you're not so good at. And then you have to discover the skills that are unique to you and the things that clients will find valuable and pay for. Sarah's mission is to help people recognize when they are in a job that isn't satisfying. Now, my mission in bringing Sarah to you is not to tell you that you're in a job that isn't satisfying, but rather to have you listen for ways you can tweak your existing situation at work so it becomes the job and the career of your dreams. A couple of big takeaways from this, um, I think, number one, the whole point of working for yourself is to do it your way. And your way should be pleasing to you. Yes, of course, it should satisfy clients as well, but it must ultimately be pleasing to you. So that's one of the big messages. Another takeaway for me from the show, probably the best line ever. If you want to jump ship, you have to inspect the lifeboat for holes. I love that. I really love that. So before we try something, let's make sure this is what we want to try. And it goes to Sarah's coaching around getting clarity before you build strategy. In other words, don't go create a new way of working until you're positive. That's the way you ought to be going. So get some clarity around the move you want to make and then build a strategy to get you where you're going. I think the lessons here relate to various tasks that we all do in our careers. And it's a really good reminder that you're the boss and there should be some perks and privileges in that, as well as responsibilities and liabilities. Too many of us are good at the responsibility, liability, work part, but not very good at taking ownership of the perks available to us. Let me tell you about Sarah Vermont. I already told you she is the founder of Careergasm and her book, Careergasm, Find Your Way to Feel Good Work, helps people figure out what the heck they want to do so they can quit the things they don't want to do and do more of the things that they love. Sarah has written for Forbes, for Fortune Inc., and for Entrepreneur. She formally taught at the School of Business for Wilfrid Laurier University. She has a Master's of Science in Organizational Behavior and Human Resources Management and a Master's in Leadership Studies and a Bachelor of Journalism and a Certificate in Marketing Management. So she's got a big pedigree and that probably got her an introduction to someone that she has worked with as a life coach, Dr. Martha Beck. You may remember Dr. Martha Beck from the Oprah Winfrey Show. Listen into this conversation between myself and Sarah and Cheryl Horn, and let's see if we can help you get your mojo back when it comes to being somewhat listless or passionless in your current position. I'm glad you're here. Cheryl, you are going to be part of this podcast, which is really fun. But before we do that, what's happening in the world of business of design? Uh, we've got a lot lined up for October, uh, which all starts at High Point on October 12th and 13th. You're going to be doing a live podcast there on the 12th. So if any of our members want to come out and listen, they can do that. It's going to be taking place at the point at one o'clock. And then the next day, also at one, um, you'll be on stage as part of a design panel, Ooh. which is great. Yeah. 
And then from there, you get to go uh, to Palm Springs for our retreat, um, which is great. Our, our whole staff will be there. Um, so looking forward to that. That's been a long time in the works and straight from there to Texas. So Austin, Houston, and Dallas on October 25th and 26th to meet all of our, our members in those cities. This is going to be really exciting and fun for me, but I do think I need a retreat in November. I know. We finally found a way to incorporate the, the travel into business of design for you. <laughs> it works for me. Thanks, Cheryl. Welcome to the Business of Design podcast with Kimberly Selden. Business of Design is the coaching community for independent designers like you. We know it takes more than hard work and talent to successfully run a professional design firm. There are proven business strategies that can solve your immediate business challenges and transform your life. Don't try to do this alone. Join today and you'll have access to more than 100 video courses plus Kimberly Selden as your mentor and guide. Unlike traditional coaching, which can take years to produce tangible results, BOD is a fast track to immediate results for independent interior designers, decorators, architects, stagers, and landscapers just like you. Monthly membership is only $67.50. Annual members save two months and have access to Kimberly's contracts. What are you waiting for? We all know design matters. At Business of Design, we think design matter too. the line. Hello to Sarah Vermont and hello to Cheryl Horn. Hello. (laughs) Sarah, you uh, were much anticipated, uh, not only by me, but also by Cheryl Horn, who read your book and brought it to my attention and then um, said, you absolutely have to have her on the podcast. This is really actionable stuff. Oh, that's so great to hear. Yeah, I... um... I, I've just actually, I've just finished the book. Um, my bookshelf is like a self-help aisle. So uh, this was actually a gift for me a few months ago. Um, and I finished reading it and I just thought our, our audience could really gain a lot from um, some of the tips and information you had in there. Okay. The book is called Career Gasm. And Sarah, what prompted you to, what, what even prompted you to write the book? Well, I have a company called Careergasm. So I'm a career coach and I've been helping people make career changes for about five years. But really what prompted me to start the business and start the company and write the book was I had a total breakdown about five years ago when I was working as a business professor, hating my job. And um, it was a real identity crisis for me. And I wanted to help other people through that same sort of ring of fire because it's hell on wheels. How did you, what, okay, when you say you had a, a breakdown, what, can you describe that for us? Because I'm sure we're all thinking, I had a breakdown. <laughs> what did yours sound like? Yeah, mine was not particularly sexy. Um, I was working as a business professor at the time and uh, the actual moment when it happened was when I was sitting at a Starbucks working on some research and for something, for some reason, I just sort of broke at that moment. I should say I really hated conducting research, and that's about eighty percent of a professor's job. I really loved, I really loved teaching, and I really loved connecting with students, and so that was the piece that I loved. But this other piece was so heavy, um, conducting research, and so there I was just working on research again, and I think I just kind of like hit my threshold, and something just broke. And have you ever had one of those moments where you kind of feel like you're standing up outside your own body watching something unfold? Absolutely. Um, Yes. Yeah. So that kind of happened. I started shaking. I started crying. I nearly spilled my coffee all over my computer. I felt like a crazy person. Like I just freaked out and broke and uh, I couldn't control it. And, and you describe I, in the book that this was kind of ugly crying. This wasn't oh, this, this was not. Crying. This was like full on ugly cry. <laughs> it was full on snotty ugly cry. We're not talking like a pretty single tear. Like it was definitely unattractive. Um, it was. I will say it was exactly what I needed mm-hmm. to start the process of moving on. So while it was ugly, it was necessary, and I ended up giving notice the next day. Cheryl, did that part of the book grab your attention? Could you relate to that part? Yeah, for sure. I mean, both personal and in business, I think you need to have those moments to realize, to sort of have a physical reaction. You can't just always be in your head to make decisions. And sometimes you need to have that moment, that event to happen to your body to actually react, to tell you 
to listen, to take that next step. Yeah. And in a way, it's kind of a gift, right? Because there's no ambiguity where if you're kind of mildly uncomfortable, I could do that for years. So it's kind of a gift when you finally hit the wall and go, no, that's it. I'm done. This is bigger than me. So you have this moment where you realize you're not doing the thing you were meant to be in life. But what do you do next? Yeah. Well, I had sort of quietly been getting some coach training while I was doing my PhD and while I was working as a professor, thinking that like, oh, you know, that's kind of fun. And maybe I'll use that later on in my career in some capacity. And truthfully, I think I was doing it to keep myself sane while I was spending my life doing something I hated. It was like this one thing I really loved. And so I was like, oh, let me devote some energy to this. And really what I ended up doing is I ended up using it much sooner than I had planned to use it. Um, because I just didn't want to push through anymore and stay on that old career track. Um, But I will say for me, it took about two years of being fairly miserable before I got to the point where I had an idea for something else and before I had that sort of breakdown moment. You know, a lot of people hear something, a story like mine, where like, it's like, oh, one day this person had an epiphany. Well, yes, but for most people, an epiphany is a long time coming. It happens in a short moment, but there's all this lead up to it, right? Such a good point. Yeah, I know everybody's relating to that because you, even if you, even if you love your overall career, there are parts of it that are so objectionable and that you mm-hmm. just don't want to do ever again, and yet you find yourself sort of trapped. And that's, at that moment, you were trapped, and then the dam breaks, and now you realize you just can't do it another day. Yeah, absolutely. Cheryl, yeah. And, I, and I think you can only plan ahead so much. It can only be something to look forward to and something that you're going to end up doing in the future. At some point, you have to take that first step towards it. And a lot of times you have to give up part of one thing in order to take a step towards the next. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. A lot of the things I talk about with my clients Uh, One of the things I talk about is the importance of like dabbling and trying things on because listen, I'm a type A person. I like to have my stuff together. I like to have a plan, but that doesn't always work. Sometimes you have to feel things out to see how they feel first. So I agree, like just taking the first step and letting go of a little bit of that security is really, really important to start moving in the right direction. Yeah. And sometimes you need that dramatic moment to get you out of your comfort zone. Yeah. yeah. Both of those things can be true for sure. But it's, um, what's that expression that nature abhors a vacuum? So as long as you keep your life so full, so chock full all the time, you're never going to be able to experience this something new. So at some point you do have to let go of the old to get the new. And I think Cheryl made that point really well. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So you're listening to the podcast. You're going, yeah, yeah, I totally can relate to what Sarah is saying. What are they going to take away from reading Careergasm? What's the first step that you're going to ask them to commit to? Well, one of the things that I, I do in Careergasm that actually not a lot of career books focus on is to help you figure out what you actually want. So much of career is focused on strategy. I actually help people with clarity. And I'm a big fan of clarity first, strategy second. So maybe I'll explain what I mean by that. Um, There are probably a lot of listeners who either work for someone else or even have their own business. um, And they feel like they don't really like what they're doing or how they're doing it. And they would like to change, but they're not sure what to jump to And so what happens when a lot of people do that is they just sort of grasp around in the dark and either apply for jobs or like, oh, I'll take this other marketing course or apply this strategy, but they do it before they actually get crystal clear on what they want. So really the first half of the book and the first half of any work I do with people is to help them first get clear on what they actually want. So it's almost like taking the question, what do I want? and coming at it from a hundred different little angles. Well, and just to sort of build on that from the book, one of the chapters that you talked about is um, how successful are you? How do you define success for yourself? Because for so many of our listeners, um, design is either a second career or something they've been doing on the side, and they've got that sort of benchmark for um, maybe just their income. 
maybe mm-hmm. when they move over to this career, that's sort of how they're um, measuring their success by they need to sort of match the income that they've just left in order to do it. But there's so much more around that. And it's deciding the actual lifestyle you want when you get into this. Do you still just want to work the nine to five? Um, for me, I work hours on the weekend, but I also end my day at three o'clock to pick up my kids every day from school. That was a really important to me. And I think for a lot of designers, it's not just about um, the income. It's, it's about the entire lifestyle around the career or job that they're building. Yeah, I think that's a good point, Cheryl. Um, and actually, I think experimenting with the lifestyle you want to have, and specifically what you're mentioning, the schedule you want to have, yeah. is a great thing to experiment with. So for example, at the beginning of my career coaching practice, I'm also a writer. So I thought, okay, in the mornings, I'm going to do my writing. And then the afternoons, I'm going to see my clients. Um, And anyone who's like a writer's writer will say, oh, like you have to do morning pages. Writing is something you have to do in the morning. And I actually really hated switching from writing to clients in the afternoon. I didn't like doing the same thing in the same day. So I had to experiment with a different schedule to see if I would prefer something different. And so now what I do Um, For those of you listening, you can't see me, but I'm at home in sweatpants today. Um, Today's a writing day for me. Um, And so on Mondays and Tuesdays, I typically am like working on a book, working on an article, something like that. And my client days are Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So I spend all day doing one kind of thing only. So I'm like a long, deep focus kind of worker. And some people are like task switcher people where they like to fill their days with a whole bunch of different things. And some people fall somewhere in the middle. But until you start experimenting with the schedule part of your lifestyle, you won't really know what's going to work for you. Um, And in your case, Cheryl, it sounds like you found something that was perfect for you, even though it's unconventional for most. Yeah, for sure. And it's, um, you know, for me, it's it's worth, um, you know, when my kids are with their dad or um, with their grandparents, it's nice for me to have that day on a weekend house to myself, fill in that time, because I know that I picked my kids up from school on Tuesday and took them to the park before bringing them home for dinner. I have that flexibility. And I'm lucky even working um, when I was in the office nine to five, I had that flexibility. I didn't have that um, struggle between the two, but I knew when I, when Kimberly moved to a structure where all of her employees were now contract workers and we had that flexibility. Um, that was one of the things that I had the job, loved the job, but it was, I had that opportunity to, um, create the, create the schedule and the other elements that sort of support the work. Yeah. I, I love this conversation because I think so many people think as design professionals, when you answer the question, what do I want? That the things that they want are things they can't have, like a flexible schedule. But the truth is they actually can have anything they want. If you wanted to only do design client work on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and that was a rule that you made for yourself, you could absolutely have that. But the conventional wisdom says that that's not possible. You can't do that. And what I hear both of you guys, both Sarah and Cheryl saying is you actually can do anything you want. You just have to take the leap of faith and put it into practice and see if it works. Yes. Yeah. And, and, you know, the last piece there you say, and see if it works is an important piece too, right? Because you might not nail it on the first try. You might have to tweak it and try something else, but it's an experiment worth doing. And I think, so many people, I would say women, especially who work for themselves, we don't use the freedom that we have. It's almost like we paint ourselves into a corner thinking that we have to work in a certain way or a certain number of hours or a certain schedule, or even take on a certain kind of client. People have to keep in mind too, that they get to choose their own clients as well. Like part of building a business and a brand that is successful is being really clear about who your people are, where your boundaries are. And yes, you might have to experiment with that a little bit at first, but once you realize what that is, you really have to stay true to it if you want to be happy in your work. Right. And I love also, you could drill down and you could even decide, what do I want to do in terms of day-to-day tasks 
tasks you like doing and tasks you don't like doing. So for example, in our in the in my design practice, I love doing steps one to five. I'm highly involved in one to five in a very particular way. But steps six to nine, I'm almost not involved at all. I don't want to do site visits. I don't want to be the project manager. I stay involved. Um, on a top level way, I, I'm on a need to know basis almost, but then when it comes back to steps 10 and 11, I'm right back in there. I'm super excited to be back in there. And then 12 to 15, I'm really marginalized again. I don't have to do it. So you could also look at day to day and say, I love doing the sourcing of fabrics. I hate answering the phone. I love, uh, doing the drawings. I hate doing the presentation, whatever the, that is, if you will define it, you could, in fact, create the perfect job for yourself. Yeah. And that's what you should do, really. I mean, the whole point of working for yourself is to do it your way. So you really should do that. Well, and I think also for those who are just starting out, who don't necessarily know what they want, figuring out what you don't want is just as important, which is one of the things that Sarah speaks to um, in, in the book that, you know, you have to roll things out. It's trial and error, but discovering what you don't want, whether it's in a project, whether it's in your schedule, whether it's, um, what you don't want in a client, it's, you know, it's helpful and it gets you closer to being on the right path. It's so funny you said that because I finally figured out that the things I didn't want to do were actually the things I wasn't so good at. Um, and it took a tremendous amount of effort for me to do those things. But when you find someone who is good at those tasks, they use a fraction of the effort to get better results. Absolutely. And the things that you enjoy, you tend to be better at, right? So that's true on both sides of that coin. Absolutely. Oh, I love this. Okay. So what do I want? A really important question to ask yourself and to write it down. I find, don't you find, I, you have to write these things down. You can't just think about what I want. You need to write it down and then share it with your team or share it with us in the business of design community, what you want. And then Cheryl, your second point um, about how successful are you? Can we dig into that a little bit more? What What's success? Who gets to say what's successful, Sarah? Well, um, technically, the, the word success, so when I wrote the book, I was like, let's dive into this topic. And success is a measuring stick that we use to benchmark how we're doing, and it's relative to other people. And the thing I find interesting is that a lot of people equate success with happiness. And those are two very different things. And yes, we should definitely be defining success for ourselves. But success is usually like a measurement thing where we can quantify some sort of measure of success. So some people measure it financially. Some people measure it based on how many hours they have to put in, how many clients they have, what sort of... um, you know, demographic they're working with. There's a whole bunch of different factors that people can use to define their success. The thing I'm really interested in as it relates to success is, does it feel good? (laughs) If it doesn't, if you know how you're defining success doesn't feel good, maybe you should think of success in another way. Um, I mean, my company's called Careergasm. So I'm definitely all about feel good work. I named it Careergasm for a reason. So if you feel successful, but you don't feel good, something is a little off balance. And so what I encourage people to do is actually to do something that Cheryl was mentioning a little bit earlier at the beginning of our chat, which is to sort of tune into the body. Your body usually knows if things are going well for you. About, I would say maybe a third of the people I work with um, have some sort of illness or injury related to work stress. And it's because they're striving and they're successful. I work with a lot of like type A, very ambitious women specifically. And um, I'm that kind of person too. And that's a wonderful, it's wonderful to have that kind of a drive. But if you're driving and striving towards things and towards success that doesn't feel good, man, is your body ever going to tell you? Um, Even in my own life, I used to have all sorts of issues with my back going out, getting hives, like all sorts of weird symptoms um, that were rooted from stress in my work and in my life. And so you may be successful in air quotes from a traditional perspective, but if the success doesn't feel good for you, 
um, it's time to really significantly change some things. Is it possible that some of those body aches and pains and misery and stress and all those things you mentioned, is it possible that those things are nudging you so you will pay attention and you don't have to go all the way to a full meltdown at Starbucks? Yeah, I think so. But I'm going to be honest with you. So few of us actually tune in. So there's this little exercise I take my clients through and we talk about the tap on the shoulder versus the smack upside the head. (laughs) Very, very few of us give in to the little tap on the shoulder, like the little headache at the end of the day. And instead we do uh, what I did and what so many people do is to grind through and push through for a couple of years until something really happens until there's some sort of illness or injury, or in my case, like a very embarrassing public meltdown. Um, Yeah. So the sooner we start tuning into the body, I do think it's much better. So what is the exercise then? Or is there something we can do to start listening for the tap on the shoulder? I bet you Cheryl is thinking like Kimberly is a smack in the head kind of a person. (laughs) whack me upside the head more than once, by the way. So I want to know, like, what can I do to start listening to the tap on the shoulder? Well, there's this, uh, this exercise actually that my coaching mentor, Martha Beck, um, coined and she calls it the body compass. And she has you sort of recall a negative memory and just sort of like hold it and think about it and see what sensations you notice in your body. So for me, when I hold a negative memory, I actually start to feel something in my throat. It kind of feels like my throat is closing. For some reason, my stress spot is my throat. I call it the boa constrictor sensation. For some people, it's like a twisting of the stomach. Um, for some people, it's like, oh, I feel like my shoulders are getting tense. It's, it's in a different spot for a lot of people, but there's usually like one area that's like, oh, I'm feeling it here. And if you can also hold a positive memory in your mind and just notice how your body physically feels, you'll notice that your body feels different. So for me, I actually feel light and kind of airy and tingly and almost like this carbonated feeling on my skin when I hold a positive memory. Now, the reason Martha Beck calls this the body compass is you're supposed to sort of use those two sensations to help you navigate your life. So let's say you're working on a project with a client and you get that boa constrictor sensation that I'm feeling. Um, then you have to ask yourself, okay, what's going on here? Something doesn't feel good. It's almost like it's a little red flag helping you to notice that something is off so that you can course correct. And with with the positive sensation, if you're working on something and you notice that light, bubbly, effervescent feeling or whatever the positive version is for you, you can say to yourself, oh, okay, I should be doing more of this kind of thing because it feels good. One thing we kind of forget is that we're mammals and we're also a part of the animal kingdom and all animals have biological feedback to help them navigate their lives too. It's just, we have to live a society that worships logic and rationality and we forget about the physicality of who we are and that we can actually use that as a tool. Cheryl, I want to make sure because you were really, really instrumental in putting this book on my desk. And by the way, it's a it's a very easy book to read. Uh, it reads just like Sarah talks, um, so you can really follow it along and ap- apply it easily in your life. So I love that about the book. But Cheryl, what what was the overarching idea in the book that you thought this is? We've got to talk about this at Business of Design. What I loved about this was it's not just about you know, the textbook definition of what your job should be. It really is, it's finding the balance between all elements in your life, both the personal and, um, and the career side of it. You know, I've, I've been very lucky in, in my career. Um, Kimberly, I've been working with for over 10 years now. Um, I started my family working at Kimberly's office, um, you know, branched into self-employment working with Kimberly still, um, so I've been very lucky in that, that I think through your career, you've had to go through that, those struggles that in turn your staff did not. Um, you know, I never had to think twice about, um, you know, leaving an hour early because my kid was sick at school and those kind of things I, I, I've never had to worry about. But what I think is hard for a lot of people is finding that balance. And if you're charging hourly, you might be doing really well financially, but if you're working 24-7 to do it, is that success. Um, And it's also, um, you know, so many of our members that reach out just think that they're the only one. 
they're so surprised that I, you know, I've talked to probably three other designers that day or that week that have, are going through the exact same struggle. And one, one of the, um, I might be pulling the example out of context, but um, Sarah, you were talking about um, a mason jar example that you have these mason jars when you make a smoothie in the morning, or that's what you choose to take a picture of and put it on Instagram. Designers are watching other designers post these big, beautiful projects, and they have no idea what's happening behind the scene. Yeah. Actually, Sarah, if you want to talk a little bit about that, because I think that that's, you know, people have these Instagram versions of their families and their lives, and they do that for their jobs as well, especially in such a visual industry like design. Yeah, that's right. So there is a chapter of the book called uh, Mason Jar Smoothie. Exactly. (laughs) And it was me telling a story how I made, uh, like, I'll often have a smoothie in the morning for breakfast. And I'll like, uh, occasionally, I'll like pour it into a little mason jar. And I'll like take a little snap of it and like throw it up on Instagram or something. Um, But like, I don't feel the same compulsion to do that when I'm like, oh my God, like microwaving a bowl of zoodles or something that's like so like not like sexy to share, right? So it's interesting how we choose these, you know, the little more polished moments, the sexier moments to share with everyone. And that's really something that I encourage the people I work with to think a lot about because pretty much everyone I work with um, doesn't enjoy their job and wants to move to something else. And so they're looking at places like Facebook and Instagram to see what other people are doing. And I have to remind them that those are places where people just offer finely curated versions of themselves. And I think it's okay to do that. Like nobody wants to see a photo of you like folding laundry with your cat on like a Friday night, but it's not particularly exciting. Um, (laughs) So I actually think it's okay that people like post the fun things, but we really have to take it with a grain of salt, right? So it's like, okay, if you maybe you see someone like me or like Kimberly or someone who's like running their own business, it's like, okay, we're showing you a specific glimpse of that. And yes, there's a lot of hard work that goes behind it as well. So just make sure that you're talking to real people in real life about the work that they're doing so that you get the full picture of what that is like. And that's something I have everybody do that I work with. I send them out for informational interviews because I want you to make sure that your assumptions about what a person's work is like is what it's actually like. And the way I usually explain that to clients is to say, okay, if you want to jump ship into something else, you have to inspect the lifeboat for holes. And the best way to do that is to talk to people in real life who are actually doing the work. And it's so important to do that when you're wanting to start your own business because when you're wanting like let's say you want to you know you said a lot of your listeners this is their second career or a part-time yep. career for them um, it's still a huge investment in terms of energy identity time money and you want to make sure that you're actually moving in the right direction and so you have to talk to other people who are doing the work and when you do that you'll find that there are many different ways to do it And you can borrow and adapt the different ways that different people are doing the work in a way that makes it uniquely yours, whether it's with the schedule that you have or the kind of clients you choose to work with or the specific uh, vibe and brand and energy you put out there. For example, I have a very unconventional brand for a career coach. I swear a lot, although I've been doing good today, no (laughs) F-bombs yet. Uh, But if you were to go to my website, my website is filled with F-bombs. It's got cartoons on it. And like in the world of like career business people, like that is, that is definitely not the norm. So I guess what I'm saying here is, is you can talk to lots of different people to see what sort of energy you want to bring to your work and then borrow little bits and pieces of that to make something of your own. I love that. I wrote, I wrote it down too. If you want to jump ship, you better inspect the lifeboat for holes. That really (laughs) fun way to look at it. Um, I was thinking years ago, somebody taught me about social media to never compare your insides to someone else's outsides. Yeah. So when I'm looking at social media, I think of that, like, remember, I don't know how that person feels on the inside. I'm only seeing a picture of their mason jar. That doesn't tell me how they're feeling on the inside. Exactly. Um, How much change, Sarah, is okay to take on all at once? Should you jump ship completely? Should you take it in baby steps? Should you have a strategic plan for that? I have 
I have some thoughts on this, but I will tell you, some of my clients vary somewhat along this scale. I really like a plan, but I have come to appreciate having a loose and flexible plan is actually <laughs> the best thing to have because it's good to, to like, let's say you're deciding to start your design business. Um, you know, you want to know which direction you're moving in. You want to have, you know, an ideal client in mind. You want to definitely know what your brand is going to look and feel like, what specific tasks you want to do, what specific tasks you don't want to do, what your team looks like, all of that. But you have to keep in mind that having an idea about something isn't the same thing as doing it necessarily. So once you start the business and feel things out, and I use that language for a specific reason, feel things out, you may notice that you want to make a few little tweaks along the way. And I think, I actually think it's a real disservice that a lot of people who work in business that we don't talk about this enough, the need to tweak and adapt and experiment with the business as it starts, especially in the first year or two. Um, and going in, you should really know that um, there's going to be a lot of changes in the first six months, the first year, the first, you know, um, 18 months, because you're going to see if your ideas about what you think you like are something you actually like in real life. I just want to interject and say, if you've been in business for 15 years and you have a lot of pain points in your business, you, it's also okay to tweak and make changes there, right? Like just yes, because you've you been should. doing it a long time doesn't mean you're doing it right. Yeah. And the reason why you may be 15 years in and need some tweaks is because you're human. If you're human, you're constantly evolving and changing and growing. And so your interests are going to change and evolve and grow with you. And so the thing that you love doing 15 years ago might be different in some way. And so you might have to tweak it or you might just be bored. You might have like mastered it at such a level that it's no longer exciting for you. So you might have to just sort of tweak and focus on something that's slightly different. Um, I'm finding that in my career. I just started like a new program a couple of months ago and it's just keeping things fresh for me. Um, and I think that's probably something that everyone has to do no matter how long they've been in the business. How do you know, and maybe Cheryl can answer this because her business is, is growing by leaps and bounds. How do you know when you're ready to add something to the business you already have? You feel like you're pretty confident in what you're doing day to day and you want to add that next thing. How do you know it's time and what are some of the things you can do to make sure you protect yourself? Sarah, I'll let you answer that one first. Oh, okay. Um, this is going to sound a little bit woo-woo, but truthfully, uh, the, the answer that comes to mind is there's a yearning for it. Um, there's just a yearning that there's something missing or an area where you want to grow and you just sort of lean into that a little bit. And I think the opposite is also true when you need to let something go or pass it on or delegate it to someone else in the business. There's also a yearning to like let go of the stuff that feels heavy and just sort of move towards uh, a project or a task that feels a little shinier. I know that's a very vague answer, but honestly, that's how I feel it in my own business is a yearning. For me, I kind of got to a point where... Um, I had work com coming in the door and I just didn't have the capacity to do it. And suddenly work that I love doing, I'm getting stressed. But the idea of delegating to somebody else and Kimberly can attest to this working in the office and everything, I don't delegate well, I would rather do it myself. So being self-employed, when you get to that point where you're ready to grow, it's actually making that decision. Yes, if I grow, there's more money, there's more opportunity, but I also kind of like working on on my own and having full control over everything. So I do have one person working with me now and it's select tasks that I delegate, you know, baby steps. And I know one of the things Kimberly's talked about is in terms of uh, delegating that as long as they can do it, you know, 80% the way you would do it, that needs to be, that needs to be okay. Cause it's not wrong, even if it's not the way you would do it. So one of the other things that I pulled um, from the book, you had talked about owning your Molly Ringwald and <laughs> how she does all these things and what she's known for isn't necessarily what her passion was, but she really is a jack of all trades that she did so much. So maybe you can touch on that because I think that's um, one thing for designers that their first couple of projects maybe are just a small little decorating job and maybe they want to do landscaping and all of these different things, but they sort of got into the Thing that that's what they think they need to be doing now. Yeah, yeah. 
expand with that. That little section of the book, uh, there's a part where I say you need to embrace your inner Molly Ringwald. And for the listeners who don't know who Molly Ringwald is, um, remember like the movie, The Breakfast Club and all of those like fabulous candles. Yes. Oh my God. They were so good. Um, she was like the, the eighties, um, you know, teen heartthrob and we all loved her. And now she's this fabulous jazz musician and she's done all of these different things with her career and hasn't let people's idea of what they think she should be put her in a box. And so she's just doing lots of different things in different directions. Um, and so you mentioned Cheryl, like, okay, for, for your listeners, you know, they maybe were doing this one kind of thing and then they feel like they want to move on to something next. You know, how do they do that? Is that okay? I think it's wonderful. Um, in fact, right now I'm working with a landscape designer who is in the middle of shifting from doing like generalized landscape design work to building a business that is just planters. She's going to only do planters because that is what is really lighting a fire for her right now. But she had all of these fears around like letting go of this other area that she was, you know, quite experienced with. Uh, It's a much broader knowledge. You know, she wondered like, oh, will I have enough clients if I move in this direction? So, you know, one of the things we should probably also talk about is fear around moving in a direction that feels good for you. Yes. I'm so glad you brought that up because that was exactly what I thought. I could totally see wanting to niche and just do planters, but my my overriding um, thought would be the fear. How am I going to do this? Who's going to hire me? What if I, you know, die with no <laughs> Yeah, I call that the bag lady story. So it's like you when you immediately go to the crazy place where you're living out of a shopping cart on the corner and all the Worst people you used to work with, totally. They're all walking by you, laughing at you on the way to work. It's like <laughs> you go from zero to 100 in no time at all. Oh um, we all have those fears. Um, and actually, pretty much everyone I work with also has those fears. Uh, the immediate fear typically is, well, if I do what I want, I'm never going to make enough money. Um, and... You know, as as someone who's working for yourself, you have to you have to find a way to make money doing something that feels good for you without letting, you know, you don't want to let fear sabotage you, but you also don't want to chase some like chase some crazy pipe dream that isn't possibly going to work out. So yes, you have to do some planning, but I actually think there's also this personal development side of entrepreneurship where you actually have to work on some of the fears and work on some of the self-sabotage so that it doesn't mess up your business or paint you into a corner to the point where you think you have to do work that doesn't feel good for you. And so I think actually just taking a really honest look at how many people do you actually need to work with to make this business work, you will notice it's a small number. You don't actually need to have a ton of clients. You couldn't serve everyone in the market if you tried anyway. And so what a person needs is a very, very small piece of the pie in order to have a very successful business. And it's counterintuitive, but the more niche you are and the more specific you get with that slice of pie, the more your people want to come to you. Have you ever like, I'm not sure if there's an equivalent in the design world, so I'll just tell you about the coaching world. Um, there's like 101 coaches, a lot of life coaches. Some of them are great. Some of them are not, but a lot of them are quite vanilla and they'll just say, I will help you make your life amazing and like help you with any problem you have. And the truth is that kind of brand doesn't actually resonate with people because it's not specific enough. So the more specific you can get in developing your business brand and your personal brand, what it will do is it will turn the right people on and turn the wrong people off. It will help the people that you don't want to work with anyway, step away. We can use my business as an example. Like I don't like working with super corporate people. So I do not have a brand that is corporate at all. So my brand helps those people say, oh, this chick isn't for me. I think it requires discipline to define your brand. And I think so often designers are so overwhelmed. They just don't feel they even have time to sit down and to figure out what they want to do, what makes them happy, let alone how could I narrow down my brand? I'll just accept every call that comes through the door because I don't have time to be more specific and directed in my intentions. Does that make sense? 
Oh, it makes so much sense. One of the exercises I have all of my business clients go through is to make a list of what they call the hell no client. And so all of the attributes and characteristics of people they would never want to work with, like you couldn't give them enough money to work with this kind of person. And so there's something about getting clear on the people that you don't want to work with and the projects you don't want to do um, that can help you get a little more clarity about what would feel good. It's almost like you can sort of look at it as opposites. So we do a hell no list and a hell yes list. And that helps us start to define um, the kinds of people that would feel good and then the specific problems that you want to help them with. Because there are specific people that every one of your listeners listening, there's specific people that they feel called to work with and specific problems that they feel called to help them with. Um, and for many of them, it's probably very different people. There's enough work for everybody. There's definitely enough work for everybody. And the other thing you said that I think is so critical is you don't need every customer. You just don't need as many customers as you think you need. And there's a great course at Business of Design, Projects to Profits, that will teach you how many small, medium, and large customers you need to hit your dollar goals. Um, and in my case, when I figured it out, the number of clients I needed was so much smaller than the number of clients I serviced. Yeah. No wonder I was tired. No wonder I was depleted. Yeah. It's so much smaller for, for all of us. Um, there's this great writer named Michael Port and he, oh, I forget the name of his book, but he, he came up with this idea of having a velvet rope around your business where only the best clients get in. And the best client is different for everybody, right? Because we all want to work with a different kind of person. But I love this idea of putting a velvet rope around your business where only the best people, the kind of people you want to work with get in. It just feels so good to think about. I love that. And I think we have a velvet rope around our podcast. And I'm so glad that you're here. You belong inside our velvet rope, Sarah. So thank you, Cheryl, for bringing her to our t- to my attention. I love it. Thank you, guys. That's very sweet. <laughs> and I'm excited to read the next book. What's, um, what's coming up next for that one? It's a book called Career Rookie, a get-it-together guide for grad students and career newbies. So the first book was for people making career changes. This next book is for people who come out of school, or maybe they're a year or two or three years out of school, and they still feel like they don't know what the hell they're doing or how to get their career started. Ooh, so we will definitely look for that. And on all of Sarah's contact information is going to be at businessofdesign.com as well. Sarah, we end every episode of the podcast with something we call design intervention. It's an opportunity for you to send out into the world the best advice that's actionable right now that you could give to anyone in business for themselves. Ooh. Well, I'll tell you something that I just did last week, actually, and maybe because your folks as a design audience will appreciate this. Um, The way my desk looks and feels really matters to me. And so I just reorganized all of my projects and I only have things that I'm psyched about working on on my desk and the rest is gone. It's such a small thing to do, but it'll change the energy of your work. I love that. I will try that. Cheryl, what does your desk look like now? I haven't seen your office in a while. It was always super neat. Is it still super neat? You know what? Because I work from home, I don't have a dedicated office. I move around my house and that's something that I have. Um, I always worked in my kitchen before, but if I got up to make a tea or have lunch, I never left the room. So for me, it was more about the environment. I actually have a back um, porch with two Muskoka chairs and I have a little TV tray out there. Well, that's the new normal, isn't it? You're not yeah. really stuck one place anymore, not physically at a desk and not um, certainly not spiritually and emotionally in a career that is uh, making you miserable. So hopefully you're listening to this and we haven't convinced you you need to get out of the interior design business, but rather uh, <laughs> you need to spend some more time qualifying those things that you love to do, figure out your hell no and your hell yes list and uh, emphasize the, the positive moving forward. Sarah, is that about sum it up? It sure does. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. It was awesome to meet you. And uh, I'm looking forward to figuring out another topic to get you back on the show. Oh, beautiful. Thank you, Kimberly. Thank you for being part of the Business of Design community. If you love what we do, please show your support by subscribing to the podcast and rating our efforts. 
Remember, you can be a part of the podcast by sharing your comments, ideas, and questions via the BOD hotline at 416-780-9187, extension 107, or by sending an MP3 file to info at businessofdesign.com. And when you're ready to transform your business and your life, sign up for a monthly or annual membership. Together, we will achieve extraordinary results. Start today.